Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dimitri Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vish Khanna's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Simone Schmidt and Ian Russell are each musicians and songwriters who once called Toronto, Ontario home. Known for their recent and acclaimed works as Fiverr, Schmidt has also played in bands like The Highest Order, which followed their time in $100, an artfully outspoken country band they formed with Russell in 2006. Sometime in May of 2023, Blue Fog Recordings reissued Forest of Tears, the remarkable debut album by $100, which was originally released on August 1st, 2008, and had been out of print for some time. To celebrate the occasion, I invited Simone and Ian onto this show to have a discussion about things like uh, different listening speeds, our long history of doing interviews and hanging out together over the past 15 years, how $100 came together and wound up making a record with Rick White, what Toronto music communities were like when the band formed, and how country music was viewed at the time, vinyl reissues and the ways music is consumed and regarded these days, 
When Ian was ill with leukemia and his recovery, Simone's serious anti-poverty work and the music people she used to encounter in Toronto, who seemed to party a lot, the mysterious band LS Double D Cup, representation in music, being ahead of your time, and evolving socio-political perspectives, Ian's solo album In Light, upcoming Fiverr plans, and much, much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control. That is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this podcast every week, and it's the cleanest of the money that comes in. So thank you to everyone who takes time to head over to patreon.com slash creative control and make a donation to sustain my work with this podcast. I can't thank you enough. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 787 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Simone Schmidt and Ian Russell of $100 with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Yeah, Hey, Simone, how's it going? It's going great. I'm glad to talk to you again. Yeah, me too. It's nice to see you. I uh, I understand that you sometimes partake of my show, but you listen at a different speed. Is that correct? Yeah, like 1.75. 1.75 speed. So for those who don't understand, <laughs> you can very speed a podcast and you listen to me faster. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. You sound great like that. Why is that? Now, why do you need to listen? Why can't? So here's the thing. I spend a lot of time trying to make things sound good. And my guests mm-hmm. sound good. I edit out stammering and awkwardness and as much as I can. I'm involved. It's going to be awkward. There's no doubt. However, then I hear tell that people like you are listening at like top speed. Why does it help you to listen to a podcast where people are talking at top speed? There's just a lot of pausing that people do, which I, I will also do. But if I have to listen back to a podcast that I've done, I listen to it at 1.752. It's just, it just, it works, you know, it happens faster. And I will say that because this is a really conversational podcast, people yeah. aren't being like particularly succinct or like choosy with their words hmm. or brilliant. Most of the time. And huh. so you really don't I see. have to, like, it doesn't have to be, like, as long as it takes everyone to say. Like, this sentence is taking a long time. Maybe the folks at home can try listening to me speak at 1.75, and they'll find that it's actually, like, a lot easier to just, like, graze over what I'm saying, you know? Well, okay. I, I appreciate this, but I, I, I heartily disagree. I think people on my show are quite brilliant and saying cool things. The other weird thing about this is like you and I don't talk on the phone nearly as much as we used to, I don't think, uh, or in they're person. They're saying cool things. They're saying cool things, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Everyone's saying cool things, but they're not saying them in ways that are like particularly dense. Okay, I see. Because people are coming to their meaning as they're speaking. In real time. Yeah, I understand. So I had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours on the telephone uh, about a month ago, 
And they also listen to the show uh, on a regular basis. And at one point, I noticed they were acting a bit odd, oddly with me. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, what's going on? Like, it's just, I usually listen to you at two times speed. You're talking too slow. You're talking too slow. I can't, I can't deal with this. It's freaking me out. I'm like, I'm freaking you out? Like, how fast do you expect me to talk as a normal person? And so, am, are you freaked out right now just talking to me normally? Like, hearing my voice normally? No, no, not... Okay. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm familiar, you know? Okay. All right. Well, it's it's lovely, as always, to speak with you. It's been too long since you've been on the show. So thank you for making time. We are joined by a very special guest. Simone, usually it's just you and me. But uh, joining us, I believe, I, 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 see, I see them. Ian, are you there? Yes. Oh, yes, I am. I'm right here. <laughs> it's nice to have Trying you. To keep it quick here. No, no, don't, please don't. That's going to be like three times speed. If you talk like Eminem or if, like, if you rap. It's, micro machines, yeah, micro, micro machine yeah. man. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Just talk at your normal pace. Simone and their ilk will take care of the speed after this episode is out. Now, Ian, it's nice to have you on this show. We used to talk more frequently uh, in the, the sort of interview uh, subject capacity. I think that's mm-hmm. a fair assessment. Is that correct? Yes, we did. We, did I interview guys? Did, did I interview you a lot? Well, you've definitely interviewed as as one hundred dollars for sure. On your, didn't we do a breakfast thing once? Yeah, I used to do work for the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, uh, ironically based in Canada, and I used to go out and have breakfast with bands. Yeah, but I would also do other interviews, oh. and I mean, Ian, uh, not for nothing. Uh, the first time I ever wrote a cover story for Exclaim Magazine, it was about John Ray and the River. Oh, yeah. I saw that at my mom's house last time I was there. She had it now, did in you, the laundry room. <laughs> did you? In the laundry room? Like lining yeah, she, the cat litter or something? It. I guess no. she just kept it being like, you got to see this. But, yeah. Now, did you reread the article by chance? Did you ever read the article? I should no, be, I'm being but I will. Next time I'm okay. home with uh, getting my hair cut by my mom, I'll pull that Exclaim out and read it. I, I will say I haven't revisited it in a long time. I was very proud of what I, I did there, and I was told repeatedly that it was actually one of the better cover stories at the time. I'm not trying to sound immodest. Actually, here's the thing: someone uh, sometime after it came out, someone at Queen's University messaged me to say they used it as a model for their journalism students. I'm like, what the damn hell? That seems unusual. But uh, anyway, wow, toot my own horn for no- for our success. Some <laughs> no, I don't know. It was whatever. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but it was that's like maybe the first time we we, we uh, did an interview is all I was getting at. So anyway, yeah, I, it would have been. I don't think you've been on this show, right? The podcast. I don't think so, but I no, am a I, listener of it at normal speed. You I'm listen listening. at normal speed. That's yeah. Your, yeah, right. Yeah, I do. right. I do. I just listen to it at really low volume just so it feels like there's people around, but they're Low volume, <laughs> high speed. Why can't anyone just listen to what I'm doing in a normal way? Low volume. Anyway, it's very nice to uh, have you. Now, Ian and Simone, uh, I, I, I encountered you many, many years ago as we've established. Uh, Simone, I may have encountered you without Ian when uh, I lived in Guelph, Ontario, and, and you did. Was Ian with you at that time? I don't remember. No. Okay. I didn't even know who Ian was. I was just a speck of nothingness. No, no, don't say that. That, that don't say that. You, it's not like you're my <laughs> podcast and it's it's speck of nothingness. That's how I feel now about my show. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, no, so yeah, Simone and I. Um, I guess I've known longer, and Simone I used to know uh, from playing in a band. Uh, at least at least I saw one performance. Uh, 
What was it called? Shit on, shit on the president's door? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was the that was the band name. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I remember things, unfortunately or fortunately. I have a memory and I remember. You were in a band called the Neutron Stars. That's correct, yeah. And I think we shared the, the bill that day. Yeah. That was like a pop rock band. Anyway, so I've known uh, Simone a long time. Ian, I've known you a long time in a way. But uh, you two uh, used to be uh, thick as thieves. And I, I, I've heard <laughs> tell recently that this is a bit of a reunion. You haven't spoken Ian and Simone in some time. Ian, is this true? Is this uh, a, a fallacy? I can't. I can't determine that yet. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't spoken like this in a long time. On a Zoom call. On a Zoom on a call. We'll just plug <laughs> the company. Fine. We haven't spoken in a. You haven't spoken in a web interface. Simone, what would be the reason uh, for you and Ian not to have had a, a, a dialogue in some time? You know what? We just got really caught up in our different lives. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think we got a lot of the work we needed to get done, done. And then it's just been about a decade, and we just haven't spoken since then. Yeah, literally haven't spoken. In, it's, it's As we're speaking, for everyone wondering, it's 2023. Simone is suggesting that uh, they and Ian have not spoken in a decade. Uh, I find this hard to believe. Ian, is that is that accurate? What Simone just said? Oh yeah. Okay. Hundred percent. All right. So uh, yeah. So Simone, how's it going? It's cool. It's great. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. Now, are there are there hard feelings? Like, why why have you not spoken in in, in ten years? Uh, Ian, I direct that at you. Do you have Do you have any insight just there? Busy, busy, busy. You know. Yeah. From well, rushing from one thing to the next. Like, but you uh, were you were extremely good friends at one point. You were you were very close, right? Yeah, well, we did we a were. lot together. Simone, <laughs> yeah, Simone, Simone. For those who can't see us, Simone definitively said yes. Ian kind of shrugged a little, <laughs> did the kind of back and forth with their head, and not sure really. Okay, so maybe not as close as we all perceive. Is there a reason we would have thought those on the outside of one hundred dollars, your band that we're we're here to ostensibly talk about? Is there a reason why we would have thought you were closer than you actually were, Ian? Is it all just the marketing? We just put on a good show. Yeah. We made it look like we were close. We devised this whole backstory. Yeah, you know. Well, I can't help but say I'm I'm feeling very sentimental about this conversation because uh, I I enjoyed seeing you two hanging out and playing music and watching the band evolve. Simone, was I? I, I is it fair to say I, I I caught wind of this band uh, in its earliest days uh, on some level? I feel like I was talking about it and covering it uh, for various things kind of early. Is that your memory? I don't have that much of a memory of back then, but I like you were one of the only journalists who paid attention to what we were doing for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like early on, I think that that was the case for sure. Yeah, I feel like you um, sent it to me the the initial music early. That's the only reason why I had that uh, luck to be able huh. to like, holy shit, this band is great. Or, or this, I think you were a duo at that time. Is that a prop? Is that possible? Yeah, we, our first thing we made was like in. 2007 I think it was an EP called Hold It Together yeah and uh, yeah we like made it because we were going to go play Sappy Fest mm-hmm. uh, and we so we like hand silk screened the covers and we recorded it on an 8 track recorder at your house Ian yeah I think yeah, and, yeah. okay yeah. okay so that's that was a nice cover does that does, can you corroborate what Simone just said Ian is that about right everything they said is 
100% true. Okay, because uh, they said that they don't have a memory. I keep, I, I, I read, Simone, you wrote a thing on uh, one of the social media platforms just describing this uh, re-release uh, and uh, jogging your memory. And you mentioned you don't have much of a memory for it. And I want to I want to bookmark that and ask maybe what that means in a second. But uh, Ian, you're saying everything checks out. That this is your memory. Your memory is clear, crystal clear. It hasn't been 10 years of darkness, a decade of darkness. You remember everything about what's going on. Mm-hmm, kind of. Okay. I, I vaguely remember. <laughs> okay, this is going to be great. Because we're doing a bit of a memory jog. We have new stuff to talk about, too, but this is going to be fantastic. So, Simone, can you expand upon your, your uh, assertion that you don't, you know, don't quite remember everything from this time period? Of For those who can't see it, I'm going to hold it up. This is the the record we're ostensibly here to talk about. Mine came in the mail not too long ago. It's called Forest of Tears, a wonderful album by $100, recorded by uh, Rick White. Uh, Simone, do you have a sense of why you don't remember so much about this period? Is there any particular reason? No, like, I I mean, for me, it was just interesting because I had to go through the exercise of, like, like, there's a reissue of the record, and Brian Taylor and Rick White, who run Blue Fog Recordings, were like, we're, we're going to reprint it because it was always a, like a pretty small run that they did. And um, so they asked me to write something and I put it to the band like we could all write something. I wrote by email because I don't talk to any of them verbally is what I'm saying. Hmm. So I wrote to everyone and I, I said, like, would you guys like to write? And no one wanted to. And so they left it to me. And then I was like genuinely trying to remember, like, what happened yeah. What was that day like? And what's interesting mm-hmm. about a record like that is that because we did a bunch of press about it, we would talk about it. And so I remembered what we said we did. But I actually had no real memories of the time. And, which calls into question, like, what is a memory? Mm-hmm. And how how do we remember things? And so the closest thing that I could think about, like, is that actually a lot of my life I don't have that many memories that aren't, like, prompted by photos or recordings and that song is a really interesting technology i guess for remembering because it has all this information in it and so that's kind of what i have from from a lot of periods of my life where my memory's not so sharp um for whatever reason like i end up having these songs Hmm. and then sometimes recordings of them and i can more accurately like remember why i was writing something or why i chose a certain word or why that subject was important to me to write about, you know? Yeah. Because um, they're also not like, um, like they don't tend to be like about my real life all that much, you know? So yeah. It's interesting. It's cool. But yeah, I, I, I had one memory of the time that we went to Rick and Brian's and it was like a visceral memory of their washroom. And I like loved their washroom. They had like a little stained glass in it. Hmm. And I, I, yeah, that's what I remember. Of that time, <laughs> but what do you do? You remember anything, Ian? Sorry, I'm not interviewing. No, you, you can you take over. I'm. I, I want to break. I do. I do yeah, this all the time. No, Ian, do you? Does that? <laughs> sorry, do you remember uh, things about that day at the uh, Elder Schoolhouse? I believe is the name of the the space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being really psyched to go up there, and um, we went up with a bunch of us, the whole band, with uh, Dave Clark, Jonathan Ajemian, Stu Crooks, Paul Mortimer. And the us two, and 
we, yeah, I remember the strongest memory for real is just eating these big steaks that we bought after, like after doing the whole day of recording, which we were so proud of ourselves to get these, like, what was it? 11 songs all done. Does this sound like I'm talking like the press releases or like talking like we were back then, Sloan being like, we did these 11 songs in 14 hours. <laughs> it's like something like that. We always went over that. But um, yeah, I remember being really proud of ourselves at the end of it. And I remember eating those gigantic steaks at one in the morning and not being able to go to sleep, just being so psyched that it, we pulled it off or we, we thought we pulled it off. It felt good. And then we just ate these giant steaks and I was to my, I was, everyone was going crashing. And I said, I couldn't crash. I had to go for a walk and so, do something to walk off this buzz and these big steaks. And I went outside and it was so dark and um, it was just terrifying, like walking around the roads in that area, <laughs> just with nothing, like no stars, yeah. nothing. And me just convincing myself, being like kind of hardheaded, being like, I'm going to go for a walk. This is the best thing. And just getting terrified and then coming back in and crawling on the floor and sleeping, <laughs> trying to sleep while with everyone else sleeping there too. Sleeping on floors. Yeah, their house is just kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing but like farm farms around them, right? So... uh and literally, mm-hmm. I think a dirt road. So yeah, brave of you on some level, Ian, mm-hmm. to be full of stakes and make such a mistake. <laughs> but it worked out for you. <laughs> yeah, it worked. You're out. both. You're both touching upon. Sleep. So yeah, there's a bit of memory jogging uh, involved in, in discussing something that happened so long ago. But um, I think Simone, in particular, you're talking about how um, artifacts can actually distort the memory of the experience, right? Mm-hmm. So you're looking maybe potentially at an article. You know, Ian joking about press releases and what you would have said to the press at the time. But you do that enough times or you revisit a photograph or you revisit the song you wrote when you were younger. And you might think, well, that's who I really was. That must be. That's the only evidence I have <laughs> of who I was at that time. Simone, as you ponder these, I was re- I like my eyes are starting to go. I'll tell you that. And I was looking at the small print here. Yeah, I should have listened to my optometrist and got progressive. That's what the one thought I had today. So I'm like, what the fuck? I can't read this shit. And then I squinted and I could read it. And I was like, oh, yeah, Simone, Andy, and already fantastic songwriters, uh, almost out of the gate. Just brilliant storytelling and hard, hard songs, I will say. Uh, they don't pussyfoot around. They don't compromise. But Simone, in rethinking about, I assume, when someone says we want to repress something, that you made, uh, you know, how long ago has it been now? You said, what did you say, 2007? No, 2008? Something like that? Yeah, 2008. Yeah. 2008. So when someone says we want to put something out that you made uh, uh, 15 years ago, whatever it was, I assume you want to revisit it to make sure you still believe and stand by uh, who you were at the time on some level. Is that fair? Did you go through the album and think, no. like, you know, mm-hmm. not at all? No, no, I know all those songs like in myself. So I wasn't like, I, I wasn't worried about that. We recorded that song or all those songs and then we played them all the time. So like, I just know them, like I can recite them all mm-hmm. and can sing them. So like, I wouldn't make a lot of the choices that I made on that album now. I wouldn't sing the way that I sang then. Um, I have like been playing music for 15 years, so I'm a much better musician now and I don't write in that form anymore like it feels like a a very like a reading like a 
an essay that you wrote in like grade 10 or something to me in in a way not because like I can't get behind the material but I just like I wouldn't do things in that way like my cadence is like so so like uh compressed you know it's like mm. the way I'm like fitting into country form requires a kind of resolve in a lot of those songs that I like fundamentally don't believe in anymore or like I, I I can't access that kind of resolve in my life you know mm. you got like a verse and a chorus and a verse and a chorus maybe a bridge and then a verse and a chorus and then like if it's a good song then the chorus like shows itself to be something even more by the end or like it it turns on itself and that's like a a really like tried and true country form and uh it also like requires to like like a story to flow in a certain way like the form does dictate the content to a degree and and i just like haven't really had that experience of time um or of like drama in my life Hmm. so i guess it's not like a way i'm compelled to write anymore or like a place where i find much uh like honesty if that makes sense so in that sense, it like ends up like I, I don't think I would ever undertake the telling of like a, a big story anymore. Like I, I just like <laughs> sing about moments or imagine a moment or like an idea. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think in that way, it's like it's really cool to see like what I associate that like simplicity or like naiveness with like being a young person mm. or and not having had any of the experiences that I had and like. I think because that approach is so different, I don't feel like quite attached to it. And and I like also kind of don't care if it like stands the test of time. Like I'm just like, oh, that was that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think uh, as I recall, uh, you were an early uh, or sorry, I feel like one of your early impulses, Simone in particular, was to be a champion for country music, like to, yeah. to remind people of the strength of it and the depth of it beyond whatever the conception was at the time. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, like people hated country music when we were playing country music for the most part. Like hmm. like you'd be like, what kind of music do you like? And people would be like, everything but country. Right, right. Ian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. totally. So yeah. all I'm getting at is for a debut album, uh, and I want to go to Ian about your thoughts and memories as you, sorry, whether or not you revisited this material before it came out again, just to get your thoughts and reflections the way um, Simone just put them. But just to, to finish this thought, um, I feel like this was a statement to us to potentially, whether you thought of it this way or not, Simone, to establish yourself as a young artist. And I can see the care that's gone into that with the attention to the detail to the lyrics and Whatever you might think of your singing at this point, I mean, I'm going to interrupt you because, like, we weren't actually thinking that way at all. Good, like, we, like, I don't think we were really thinking that way. Like, I think we got the opportunity to record with Rick out of nowhere, okay, and then we made it happen. But we were just like meticulous in our way that we would write, right? Like, we just mm-hmm. we just wanted it to be good because we wanted to be doing something that we thought was good, and it was a lot less like for. Like independent artists, there's a lot less of like a notion that you would become like 
famous like you didn't have to do social media so you weren't like competing on the same platforms as like beyonce or something so you know what i mean like it we were just like we're gonna make something good i don't know ian what do you think yeah well yeah we were like so into country music and country songwriting and we just were like like studying or whatever you could say but like listening and enjoying and digging country songwriting and so we're into that work of doing that like that was the reason why we made the songs we just were into that style of music the songwriting the country songs and that's how it i mean most of it's country like that in that way like songs and stories yeah so i think that's i think that's how we're going for i appreciate the clarification about intentionality here I guess where I'm coming from is uh, when I think of myself as a young person and, and the sort of musical forms or communities I, I tried to enter by playing, I think you're right. We weren't we probably weren't thinking about what it all meant. But on some level, we had such gratitude for what we had experienced and heard from others. When we entered the forum, we wanted to throw down 100 percent. We wanted to be there yeah. and present something that we could be proud of and that we felt respected the forms whether we're going to do whatever we're going to do and it's going to be our own thing it's not going to we weren't copying anyone or anything like that and and i don't think you were Mm -hmm. either but when you enter any kind of genre oriented community for me it was like post-hardcore punk and Mm -hmm. whatever those things mean those are to me i i maintain those are open-ended concepts i think of punk as being almost anything but i think that when we entered them we came with a little bit. We were young. We probably didn't think about it too much, but hat in hand a little bit. Please, we, we want to contribute to this. We think we have something that will also contribute to this, what everyone's doing, and, and we hope that it doesn't embarrass it, uh, or we hope it does it justice. So what I'm getting at is, I just wanted to clarify, Simone, is what I'm saying sort of making sense to you yeah, more so in the, in the vein of like you yeah. clearly felt, felt country music was being misinterpreted on some level by indie rock idiots or whatever you want to call it and that's but that was kind of the milieu you were in on some level right those were your peers maybe no like uh i think those were ian's peers like i wasn't a musician until we started doing 100 dollars. so i would go watch john ray and the river play and think like okay like i i guess i remember going to shows and like throwing shows with this punch clock which is like the print collective that i was into and we would you know like what creeping nobodies like all this kind of indie rock so that was like the social milieu but in a way i guess i just i don't remember like when we began writing together that i had much of an aspiration to like be part of it or to interject into it or anything like that it Mm. just was the place that we had access because those were like the sure. social channels that we had access to play in a sure. sense. Like, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I guess when I say like people weren't playing country music, it was like that. Like, even like what the folk musicians that were, would have been popular at the time would have been like Will Oldham, you know, mm-hmm. people would have been listening to him. But there w- that wasn't really what was happening in Toronto, as I remember. There wasn't that much like even sad boy folk music or anything like that. Not to say Will mm-hmm. Oldham is sad boy folk, but you know what I mean? Like the mm-hmm. things that, but yeah, I don't know. How do you remember it, Ian? Like what was the community yeah. of musicians that we were around? 
like when I was thinking about when I listened to the record for the first time so long and um, so many memories came back that time. I was like amazed remembering so much. And since then, some, something that's come from it is I just remember so much. My life was all about bands, mm -hmm. yeah. like playing in bands, going to shows every night, if you could, and just living and breathing that. So everyone around you is in music and making music or me was making music around me and around us. And so that was what we knew. And of course we wanted to do something, you know, contribute to the general stuff that's going on. But for us, yeah, that's just something that comes to mind. Just how much that was the way of life. When you listen back on it, so Simone uh, mentioned that when they listen back to it, on some level they, they, I mean, they don't have that many regrets on some level. They can hear things they would have done differently maybe, but there were no hang-ups is what I gathered from the previous response. Um, Ian, this is also a time and place for you, this album. You know, it captures mm -hmm. captures who you were at that time. What do you hear when you listen back? Uh, what do you hear about yourself, rather, when you listen back to uh, this record and, and $100? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I think of us, like Simone and I, and then Simone Stu and I, and then the band, all of us. It reminds me of, I have a million memories that are all just, swimming around at once really it's hard to land on one and define one but you know all the years of touring and so many fun shows but yeah when we were first starting i felt like everyone around us there's like superstars everywhere i was just kind of amazed by all the talent I felt like everybody was so special and vibrant and yeah it was such a exciting time and yeah i think meeting you know simone and i got started writing music and i was quickly amazed with what we could do i mean my part was just the music and but simone's lyrics and singing was just you know this superstar right beside me being like help we could write this amazing stuff i was so happy so you among other <laughs> things very happy among, uh, among other, uh, other memories for you is the revelation i guess yeah well yeah when the first like Careless Love was the first song in this record, and it was the first one on that first EP, right, Simone? Mm -hmm, mm hmm Yeah. And I still think that's a great song. It's fantastic. Like, and and it's I would love to hear yeah. I'd love to hear Dolly Parton record that one. Remember someone you were saying, I want someone to uh <laughs> get us some money for all this? Yeah, that was I yeah. feel like it would be awesome. That was part of the recent at least it was at least a part of the recent post that I was alluding to earlier where Simone right. So, I mean, I, I, we're a little all over the place because I, I don't know if we've... I, I keep meaning to ask, you know, uh, Simone earlier, uh, Ian described uh, himself as a speck of dust and that you didn't, you know, you didn't know each other when, when Simone and I were in Guelph together, uh, hadn't yet established contact. Uh, Simone and Ian hadn't established contact yet. Um, I want to get to kind of that origin story a little bit in terms of your collaboration, but what Ian just said begs the question of why a repress? Uh, exactly like what is the point of this on the one hand mm -hmm. it's happening a lot now and certainly Rick Brian right. and Rick it's not are on the internet like it's not on streaming services so like yeah. people don't know that it exists like and then the people who do know that it exists are like I haven't been able to find that music in years or like people would write me and be like my CD's worn out can you get yeah. me another CD and I'd be like I don't know <laughs> like I don't know how to do that <laughs> um 
So there was like a, an actual demand for it, which was pretty cool. And then over the years, I kind of like, I think like even a few, like a month ago, like Brian, who works at Rotate This, was like, I like, here's like a $100 source of tears LP coming through. And then I just posted it on the internet and like people were like, ah, like scrambling to get it. And then, but, but then there's a repress of it. So it's really funny. But I thought that like, that's so cool because there's been the scarcity of that recording. And whereas like every other album you can just like listen to for free, you kind of have to get this one. You can now listen to it on Bandcamp, but it's not on streaming services. And I, I'm so glad we did that. It, we did. We didn't put it up. You know. Why, why are you glad? Just because it's like, I think that it really lends to this experience of people having listened to it in the past and then like getting to return to it. And maybe something that I've been thinking about lately is like the difference between nostalgia and like just the impact of uh, songs that remain with you in in certain ways mm-hmm. and just the total lack of attention that people pay to music right now as it's accessible constantly means that like that's often the way that like new music I put out is consumed. And so like I know when I put out a record, uh, like people might not even listen to it all the way through and they don't need to. If they don't like it the first time, they don't need to hear it again. And Mm -hmm. so that just means that that quality of attention that used to be around like you know 15 16 years ago when people would get an album and they'd play it over and over again doesn't exist i think it's so cool that it like that means that the music's like emblazoned in people's minds and then they really like get to receive it again in that same format Mm -hmm. they have to listen to at least one side of it unless they're super weird and they're just going to keep moving the needle you know so yeah mm-hmm. I, I really like that about it yeah my family and i uh have been obsessed with an album that somebody put out recently and they only put it out on Bandcamp. and so uh, when i'm around we can play it because it's on i bought it and then i put it on my telephone and then when we're in the minivan or in when i'm making breakfast or whatever dinner i can play i can zap it to the speakers that's it it's not on vinyl it's it's nowhere else but my kids are like can we add it to our our machines? I'm like, no, I guess you can, unless I bring my, I could, I could, if you want, I can bring my zip drive up, but they're all private. They're like, no, no, you don't have to come into our room, Papa. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We're fine. <laughs> I'll just listen with you. But anyway, it's, I'm sensing that there's this movement now by bands who are able to, to be like, I'm just putting it out on Bandcamp. I'm not going to put mm-hmm. it on the big mm-hmm. streaming services. Do you see a future in this, Simone? Like, do you think that's going to keep happening maybe? Oh, I don't know how people are going to try to make money off music or try to release music. You know, it all feels so messed. Uh, I can swear it feels so fucked up because it's like you don't want your sacred practice to like be doing business for an arms dealer. Like that's Mm. the reality. Like I don't really feel like I want the Spotify guy to be making money off of my work when I don't especially (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um the other aspect just being like the notion that there's like uh unlimited digital room in the world when like really like the servers are finite and like they're really hot and there's global warming Mm -hmm. and I don't know like these like dependencies on like digital technology and everything always being there and always being connected it doesn't feel very good to be maybe like 
part of this like general glue. Yeah. You know? And so for me, that's why I would look for other ways. But, you know, I hope like band camp, like they're trying to unionize and like, I hope Mm -hmm. all that's working out well. And, and like, if everyone's getting treated good there, then I feel like they've always tried to make, like let artists make money off our work. And so, Mm -hmm. so I would, you know, I would consider doing it. There's this notion at the beginning of like when streaming started, like if you don't throw your music into the stream, then like if you're not on Spotify, you're not on Apple, then like no one's ever going to be able to figure out who you are. And like for like every two years, there'd be like a a different like theory of industry. Like how are we going to keep making money? Like what do you need to do in order to remain relevant? And I think like ultimately I just feel like musicians got duped in a lot of ways and i think i can probably still make the money i can make doing what i've always done which is like to have a modest following and tour yeah and play those shows and then like sell those records off stage yeah uh, otherwise like uh, and then like what like get get a show in television or something or a, a, <laughs> a song, song like a licensing sync or whatever mm-hmm. yeah 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 yeah. Or get yeah. like Dolly Parton to cover Careless Love. So. If we keep saying <laughs> it, it'll happen. If we keep saying that Dolly Parton, in particular, should cover the song Careless Love, it'll happen. It's like Beetlejuice. Yeah. So we'll just keep yeah, we'll just keep exactly. saying it. Ian, uh, thanks for that, Simone. I appreciate that, and uh, I know it's both relevant and not relevant to maybe. Well, I guess it's relevant to the release of this record. Thank you for speaking to that, um, uh, because I think it's a little bit of an industry thing too. I really am. Uh, I don't know about you two, but I'm trying to collect all of these Blue Fog record uh, re-releases or repressings mm-hmm. or, or pressings, frankly, of things that are long ago because I appreciate what they're doing. Uh, and yeah. uh, it means it's meaningful to me. So I'm happy that this exists uh, in this format. I will say, uh, Ian, I was recently, uh, not too recently, well, I guess it was a couple months ago, a few months ago, we had some family over. And when I lived in Guelph, the family members would marvel at the wall of CDs that my wife and I have accumulated. And I was never particularly proud of it. They just had to be in the living room. That was the only room that could house them. Uh, But it was pretty like, holy shit, that's a lot of CDs. And so then the same family members came to my house in Edmonton, and we did a tour of the house. And they they were like, so you got rid of the CDs? I was like, no. (laughs) No. No, so we went to this closet thing in the basement, and there they are. And they're like, you mm-hmm. kept them? I'm like, from like 1999 to maybe 2012, there are, there are record, there are CDs here that bands made, and they're nowhere else. There's on, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, some of the, you're right, Simone, some of my CDs don't work. What we heard in the time is like, yeah. this is a, an inherently obsolete format. It's not going to work after a while. Yeah. It just doesn't work. <laughs> the data just isn't read. But I have them, and for the most part, I hope they work. So all I'm getting at is, sorry, Ian, I, I, cut, my, I cut you off. I was going to ask you a question. I'm just saying, I related to that. I think it's important to keep physical things. And, uh, and I think that's a really weird... You guys fall in that category. You made a CD, and I thought I had it on, I thought I had it on vinyl. I was like, I don't need to buy that. Turns out I don't. I didn't have $100 on vinyl. I had it on the compact disc, huh. so I felt... Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got it. Anyway, I just wanted to say that I think there's something to that to keeping things. Where was I going with this? Uh, I had a question for you, Ian, didn't I? Did I have? Did I say something? Yeah, <laughs> you 
said you had a question for I me. I did, a while ago. Ask the question. Can we get to <laughs> how you became a meaningless speck of dust in Simone Schmidt's life oh. to starting to collaborate together as, uh, as actual uh, songwriters? How did that happen? Well, I wasn't a meaningless speck of dust before I met Simone, but... <laughs> I, was, I didn't think for, so. For this, I didn't think so. For this podcast. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, for the story. Yeah. Yeah. Not meaningless. I didn't say, I didn't mean it. I don't think you're meaningless. I was just doing a callback <laughs> to the speck of dust comment. I think you, again, to me, you're the opposite. You were one of the first people I, I got to interview for a cover story for a major, at the time, it right. seemed to me anyway, <laughs> a major yeah. magazine in Canada, the one I read as a kid. And then they say, okay, you're up. See what see what you got. Write a cover story on this John Ray in the River since you like him so much. You were there, right. so you're not. You were never meaningless to me. You understand? I just want to say that. Yeah. Okay. I same here. I mattered to myself. <laughs> I was a matter that mattered. You are. You to, always to have been. Anyway, let's. <laughs> I think we've regressed. My point is, how did you and Simone start working together in this band? Oh, well, we met and started hanging out, and I actually talking with my partner about doing this interview was saying Simone how I remember the first time hearing you sing at the piano at the house I lived at on McDonnell and you played a song and sang it and I think it was um what's Michelle McAdory's band's name Crash old Crash Vegas Crash, yeah, Vegas Crash Vegas and it was like she calls early in the morning about money that oh I no that's 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 Sarah Harmer Sarah Harmer that was like oh, a weeping sorry. tile oh, weeping, weeping tile, tile. that's right. a weeping oh, tile yeah, yeah. two bands that I, I heard at the same time and get them mixed sure. up anyways sure. it was all it was uh, that was the first time I heard you sing I remember being like oh my god this is so cool and I was like you can really sing and I was psyched because I can I could play music with you and I wanted to do that and you uh, really took it from there I guess I mean we took it yeah. from there together but yeah that's how it, that was yeah. for me that was something i was like that was a big uh moment i see okay so yeah. that is how you first knew of simone's gifts and then collaborating mm. began how exactly ian probably saying let's write a song san andreas fault that was the first song we wrote a eh, simone do you remember that one yeah um, but remember, I would play the mandolin. I could play the mandolin. Yeah. So I kind of would play a bit with that. Like, I couldn't play well by any means. My tone is wretched, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you would sing song. Like I think for that San Andreas fault and probably for Careless Love, you sang it. And then together, we just kind of figured out the music, the chords that would be underneath it. And most of the mm-hmm. songs were probably came about like that there's some maybe where I figured I, I started with some music and you brought some words to it but I yeah like you would do that a lot you did you did I think you did that a lot like because if not like chord structure like so many like particular turns but also like you had like a where other people like wouldn't use minors you would like throw in like a minor a lot of the time like in country music and like you often were like writing sort of like standalone instrumentals and so it was like such a rich, uh, like musical chord structure to to write to. And I remember just being like, "Oh, I'm so I feel really lucky about yeah. that." Hmm. And then uh, Ian, at some point, so as I've established many times, you were in a band called John Ray and the River, 
that band mm-hmm. ceased operations, right? Yep. It stopped around the same time I got diagnosed with leukemia or definitely then. Well, we definitely, yeah, we stopped then, I think. How are you doing, Ian? Um, How are you doing? Oh, I'm perfectly fine. Okay, yeah, good. thanks. Yeah. I'm fine. I mean, there's like, what's it called? What's it called when something that wasn't intended? Iatrogenic? Happened? Oh, not that. I don't know what that word is. That's what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Iatrogenic. Oh, I, I don't know what that is. What's that? That's like when like a treatment like causes you an illness. Yeah. Like you get a, you get administered a cure and then you get sick from the cure in a different way. Were you thinking oh, of the yeah. word relapse by chance or something? No. You oh. know me that word, Simone, but um okay. it's the cause that's what it is. It's like, yeah, I've got things have come from it. From doing chemo. Like chemo's like hmm. bring someone to the brink of death, hoping that you kill the yeah. cancer. And then not kill the patient and then bring them back and hope that they're uh, okay. And I, yeah, I'm mostly okay. But okay. there's things like my bones are like a bit fucked up. Yeah. But mostly I'm okay. I just, I'm brought back to being deeply concerned about you on a personal level this whole, that whole mm-hmm. time. Uh, yeah. So I'm just very grateful. Um, I'm sorry you two haven't talked in 10 years. That seems sad, but I'm very grateful we're all here today <laughs> and that you're here today. It means a lot to me um, to see you because I, I am brought... Sorry, there's some painful memories involved for me with this band, but it's mostly to do with that. Uh, just mm. knowing that you were... And Simone struggling through it too. Like We would have frank conversations about this, as I recall, of Simone trying to take care of you and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, yeah. don't want to make it Cancer a... Death- is the easy part. What I was trying to get to. <laughs> oh my god! Sorry, I'm glad this. We can have we can oh laugh god. about it now, I guess. But Dude, it was it was so it was tough. funny. Uh, I will say, even uh, not knowing you as well as um, I don't know. I just feel like we did hang out quite a bit in those times, if I may say. It just mm-hmm. I can't remember them all. But does that ring true? Yeah. Am I making that up? I feel like we were often around each yeah. other. At least the three Me of us. Too. I felt like the three of us and like so many people. Like yeah. it was just like hanging out all the time and lots of people and i think so many people who are gonna like who's gonna buy this record this 2008 record now i bet so many people are people who were there like in that time because yeah. that, that was a big time for us for me simone and Yuvish. but then other people like i talked to people and like they're saying that was such an important time for me and for people of certain times in their life that's like when you're you know it's big moments in your life so it's like, um, yeah, it, I'd be, I'm curious. I'd love to be able to get like the stats on how many people are buying Forest of Tears this year who had been to the shows or got it, you know, recommended by a dear friend or heard a song on a mixed CD or whatever playlist, I guess it is now, but well, or how many people are just coming to it? Like, how would you come to this? How could you hear about this? Well, we were all, it was such a formative time for all of us. I'm guessing Uh you guys were in your mid to late 20s. I was in my late 20s to uh, early 30s. And um, yeah, for me personally, like this coincides with me getting probably the best job I ever had for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where I actually got to do creative things and go have breakfast with you or talk to people. And uh, so it it is like a really magical time that I'm brought back to by, Mm -hmm. uh, I think I probably profiled your album on that network you know and I, we talked about it and yeah yeah like mm-hmm. it's a it's a very magical mm-hmm. thing so there's going to be some inherent nostalgia here i'm glad we talked about 
the content uh, of the record still kind of holding up for both of you. Uh, where I was going there before we got uh, a little bit sad or melancholy, but it's all worked out fine. Egan is good and here, and I'm so pleased about that. But um, yeah, so John Ray and the River uh, stops, and then that band becomes $100. And kind you of. do a bunch of... Is that not quite... Well, not, not it everyone. It wouldn't say that, because no. it's like... No. John Ray and the River was its own thing for sure, and very yeah, yeah, different sorry. vibes. Okay. And it was like this powerful, amazing, drunk punk band that was its own thing. But then Simone and I were very, uh, had a very different, or not idea, like, but I don't think we came with like, we're going to do a band that does this. It was just this, we were doing the songs and writing songs and it was very different. Also because we're coming out of, sorry, no, 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 no need to apologize. Um, some of the members is what I should have said of yeah, that band ended up for sure. Being, yeah, yeah, because okay. like Anne was in John Ray and the River, mm-hmm. and John Ray was in John yeah. Ray and the River, and neither of those people were in the band that we right. were in. Right. People who were in it was like Paul Mortimer, Jonathan Jemian, and David Clark, and then Stu, and then but also really really important in our band was Stu, right. and he wasn't in John. Ray okay, and the River. right, fair enough. And it was yeah, fair enough. It felt like it was a different time. Too. For my, like, the scene that I was in, for sure, the scene that yeah. we were in, it was like, I got cancer, and I felt like there was a reckoning for some people, at least, and it was just, we just kind of approached it differently, for sure. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what I was getting at. I just wanted to kind of give people who weren't there mm-hmm. a sense of how you two uh, started to come together. and um, Well, yeah, like, because I wasn't really a musician, and or like I could play music, but I wasn't like into bands like Ian was. Mm-hmm. And I just like started hanging out, out around Ian because I worked in this print shop and was in the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, which were like other groups like Punch Clock, Print Collective, and then OCAP. And Ian had like relationship to all those those groups in some way. And so when I started hanging out around Ian, I was like, whoa, you go to so many shows and all these people, all they do is get drunk and play music and like, wow, like what a nice life. Like these people are so relaxed. Like everywhere I am, like people are suffering or like trying. And then uh, there were all these like partiers and they were like involved in this cultural scene that like had nothing to do with the culture I was part of. So I felt like very outside of the thing. And I mostly like kind of watched Ian and when we would hang out, like I would sometimes go to play shows out of t- like to watch them play shows out of town or like watching and go on tour and i was always just kind of like what mm-hmm. like weird like so it what to me it wasn't like really the culture that i was like aspiring to but i did print i print shirts for john rain the river mm-hmm. oh. as a printer as a screen printer and uh yeah so to me it was like very foreign and then ian and i we would play as a duet and it was really cool and we would play at the Transact Club, and this guy, Stu Crooks, who's a pedal steel player, saw us play. And he was like, I'll play with you guys. So that seemed impossible. Mm. Uh, and Ian was also in a band called Live Country Music with Chuck Ehrlichman, who's still making music, which is so cool. Mm. And mm-hmm. like Doug Paisley mm-hmm. and Matt Barber. And mm-hmm. so they, like, we would go watch them play, and they were more kind of like the country, like, old, like older country listening mm-hmm. crowd. And then so yeah, I think that's how Stu kind of came to know who Ian was. Mm-hmm. But when we got the opportunity to make this album, it was out of nowhere. Like we weren't seeking to make the the full length. It was just more that like we played a show with Rick yeah. White and then he offered to yeah. record the record. So we were like, who's going to play on the record? And we really quickly just ha- like reached for the people that 
like Ian trusted most as a musician because he knew what he was doing. Like I was like, I don't even know what a microphone is in some ways. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I really I didn't know how bands and recordings worked at all at the time. So yeah, I think like Ian's relationships and like uh, commitment and like dedication to like fostering musical culture, like like I didn't have to work for that entry way into it at all. I just like found myself there. And I don't think I noticed like I didn't even know that until like years later when I watched. Yeah, when I realized how easy it was for me to enter into that. So yeah. thank you, Ian. Oh man, well, I mean. It's hardening, Simone, to see how far you've come with recording technology. I mean, as we're speaking, you have your own mic sock now. And it looks, <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so it's super like... Uh, Professional. It's like PV, PV, like you can buy them from PV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ian, Ian, I want to say something to you, and I want you to tell me what uh, it conjures for you, okay? I'm going to say Let's something. I'm going to say uh, LS double D cup. Oh yeah. What I does that what mean about. to you? What is that? Well, that's a band. That was like uh that was our other band. Simone's my other band, would you say? Oh no, it wasn't us. I wasn't in that band. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> I always dreamed I was in that band, you know guys? You know such a cool band. And it's hardly <laughs> anyone ever heard them. Some people who went to the the hundred dollar shows would have been to the also been to the LS Double D Cup shows. I went to some of them. I thought but, I'd ask yeah, you. Good. I didn't. I didn't think it would prompt confusion about your membership in the band. <laughs> I, that I'm surprised by. You're like, of course, I'll proudly tell you about well, the tenure I had in LS Double D Cup, and then you're like, wait a minute. Oh. <laughs> I resemble somebody in that band. That's I get confused. With what that, was that? What was that, that band like? Uh, I, I I recently I didn't know as with it and hip and cool as I thought I was. Uh, all of a sudden, I discovered this LS Double D Cup band that I didn't know about. Uh, Ian, yeah. what was it like to see that band? Oh, they were amazing. They would like dress up. They were always disguised, and they'd dress up in amazing outfits. Like they were pretty scuzzy, mm-hmm. and um, they'd have like screen printed masks, and um, it was really wild music, like kind of like psych punk surf rock. Yeah. With a really wild singer, Rap Words, I think the singer's name was. Rap Words. The guy who, yeah, the bass player was Abraham Bingbong, a.k.a. Jamie Handrax. Jamie Handrax. Yeah. It was like Philip K. Vagina was on drums. Yeah. And... Ian, Ian, do you you not have any... Flowers. That's right, yeah. Was one of the guitar players. Are you not related to Abraham Bingbong in any way? I thought you were. Um. Well, we both played bass. Oh, okay. Yeah, I just I thought for some <laughs> reason there was some connection there. Simone, can you tell us all more about LS Double D Cup? Uh, it sounds like you might have firsthand knowledge. Okay, so LS Double D Cup is this band that like Ian can't remember being in because <laughs> it's just a like acid trip that a bunch of people had. Smoked um, so much in that band. Wait, wait, sorry, which <laughs> band? Ian, which band are you talking oh, about? I heard that this band smoked so much weed. Every practice, every rehearsal, every time they play a show, they always smoke so much weed. So it's okay if nobody LS Double D Cup, like not ne- $100. You're talking about LS yeah. Double D Cup right now, Ian? I just want to clarify. LS Double D Because yeah. as far as yeah. we know, yeah. you are not in LS Double D Cup at all, Ian. Is that correct? 
No, Who can say? Ian, Ian, like, was... Ian just, like, had a coordinated acid trip with, like, these other people. And I they see. made this music. But as a result of, like, the total bliss of making that music, none of them can admit that they were actually in the band because to do so would cause the need to try to replicate that level of bliss, which is an impossibility at this point in the world. And so this is called compartmentalization. It's a classic thing that happens when something so good happens that like you then have to divorce yourself from. So it's cool. Like, like a lot of this is kind of why me and Ian don't talk a lot because like I can't help but tell the truth about something like this. Ian was in that band. Ian, oh, like, oh, Ian was in the yeah, band. Yeah, like, Ian okay, was, just making sure. Yeah, Ian was in the band, but he like he can't admit it because if he did, the rest of his life, in comparison, would feel like so a total gray. piece of shit. Yeah, which one's reality? Is it the grayness exactly. of today or the psychedelic, tie-dyed brain meld of LSWD cup? LS Double D Cup on its own, as a name, seems like the result of an acid trip, if I may. <laughs> and just looking at it, you know, the way it looks graphically, it confuses me. And then to actually say it out loud as many times as I have today, I feel like <laughs> I'm getting a little woozy. Uh, no, that's good. So uh, what's the... Uh, off the time. Uh, Simone, I... The person who does the art for that is this guy, Michael Como, who's like an mm-hmm. incredible artist. I would talk about like analog like people who remain fairly analog. Michael now has an Instagram, but like as mm-hmm. like an amazing printer and like comic book artist, like really didn't take up on social media. Um, and like, yeah, total weirdo and hilarious and um, mm-hmm. also just like incredibly talented comic book maker and, and printer. And did mm-hmm. all these these works of art that like people always mistake for other people but like was actually really seminal in like a certain style of printing that like uh was popular in toronto uh, like a lot of people think that uh posters for vaseline like that big party the queer party that will monroe would throw were by will monroe but it was actually michael como who made those, mm-hmm. those i see posters i see michael como really cool. contributed to uh the liner notes for Forest of Tears, I, I see that. That's right, Michael Como. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Michael Como, very uh, multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's the status of? Uh, we'll leave that at that for now because I don't even know what to believe anymore. I feel like I'm on an acid trip. It's true that. Can I say though? It's true. <laughs> I've I've got the word that in my gray reality, I see that LS Double D Cup is releasing their first record. That's what I was trying this to get week, to. I think. Yeah, as yeah. we're speaking. Well, you're trying to say what I was, I'm saying I was now. trying to get that. No, I'm sorry, man. I don't mean to trip you out. <laughs> I was just trying to say that, uh, yeah, I also heard tell of that. And as we're speaking, uh, the people listening to this, this has already happened. LS Double D Cup already exists. They were around. Now they have a release. Uh, Ian, did you want to speak to this? I know you, you got a little fuzziness or should... Should we defer to some? Oh, when you just said this already happened, I was just like for the people who are listening, this is happening. But yeah, that's what tripped me up. For those of us like in this. this call right now, this is happening. But the fact that yeah, you're saying yes. LS Double D Cup have a new release coming out this week—that's already happened because they're hearing right. this in the future, even though we're in the present. But our present is yes. their past, 
and now they're in the present and going into the future. Does that make sense? Yeah, as much as all this stuff can make sense. Yeah. Like, Simone, uh, what is the you know. deal with this release? How is it coming out? Uh, <laughs> the LS Double D Cup uh, thing, and what does it all mean? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this so I think recording? That that recording is like a bunch of songs that were recorded by Steve Cato at Sneaky D's. Uh, Sneaky D's still around? Is Sneaky D's still around? Uh, I, yeah, it is. But I mean, I haven't been in there since we recorded that in like 2008, <laughs> hey, I don't okay. think. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was recorded the same year as Forced of Tears. Mm-hmm. But the music mm-hmm. never came out. Not for any reason, except we just didn't really think of it that way. And then I think, actually, it was recorded on software that uh, uh, on this program called Sanuti, like, which is iTunes backward, but it was like this old, like I think, open source uh, digital hmm. audio interface. And then like we couldn't get the files after a while because it became obsolete hmm. as like, you know, new software emerged. So we only had like M4As of those recordings. So yeah, and like now the, 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 <laughs> that sounds really good, right? It sounds really good. No, but it sounds like... <laughs> it does sound good. The, oh, the recordings so do sound good. I like the songs. Yeah. yeah. So those are... Suits, yeah. It, yeah. It fits yeah. the band. Like, the band was so wild. It's kind of understandable. It would take whatever it is, 20 years or 20, 15 years to release their f- record. Hmm. So and um, so releasing meaning... It's fine that it's, they come out on M4A, like, from M4A. Right. So <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's on Bandcamp, and I guess you could probably even get it in, like, high fidelity, but it's just so you know it's an M4A. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so anyways... And it's only on Bandcamp. I mean, I'd like, you know, if any, like, hotshot record exec is listening, maybe you want to put it out on vinyl. Maybe you want to put it out on tape. We'll do that. Okay. It'd be great. We'll do that. Okay. So I dare people to listen to it. Uh, Muskoka, one of the songs on it, Muskoka, or Driving Miss Disco and not get it stuck in your head. Because I've had those songs stuck in my head for <laughs> 15, 20 years. Like, for real, as soon as I hear the riffs... The first riffs of those songs, it's just stuck in my head for a week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of retained in your mind like a flashback might be, right? At any moment, yes. LS Double D Cup just hits you again. You're like, oh my God, I thought, I, already, I thought that was gone. It's back. Is that what happens? Yeah. Okay. I'm here and I'm there and I'm back. And is this and is that the only recording that exists of this band? Yeah, I think. Yeah. I mean, there may be videos of us playing in like art galleries. We're in or... a movie. Yeah, I never saw it though. I couldn't go see it. <laughs> There's a movie baby. by Idris, Iris Fraser Gudrunas. Mm-hmm. Like, I forget what the movie's called though. Shoot. My, no, Father. Oh my God. Father of the Bride? Father, Father Francis. Father of the Bride. Father Francis? Yes. Father Francis? Father Francis. Father of the Bride. I thought it was Father <laughs> of the Bride. Father Aren't you the wedding band? Isn't LS Double D Cup the. Wedding band and Father the Bride. I thought That'd I heard be that. Amazing. So much yeah, to get then... married to that band. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is all it's all lovely. I didn't know about this. So this is a nice little uh one hundred dollars bonus thing in a way. 
uh, to discover it for us. Different to- band, Vish. It's a different John band. John the like, River, one hundred dollars. <laughs> LS Double D Cup. Different because band. Because actually, actually, like in case I don't want anyone to think that anyone in one hundred dollars, <laughs> other than Ian or me, could have been in LS Double D Cup okay. because there's like Hunter, Mikey Berry, Michael Como. Maybe they're gonna kill me for telling the world who they actually are, but I'd rather and they kill TV me later too. And Simone TV played so in that band too, yeah. Yeah. But like, I'd rather they kill me than they be angry at me. <laughs> this is fair. We're yeah. not mentioning I didn't, who they are. I didn't mean to conflate all the right. things, but I do think this is a bit of an orbit. Everything's kind of orbiting. Different people, but something's going on. All I wanted to say is, it's lovely that all this is coming out again or for the first time. Uh, it means a lot to me, and I'm a little but did bit... did you ma- like it? Did you like it, LSD Did double, you like double LSD? Double- Alice Double D Cup. You just listened to it today for the first time. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much liked it? No, I did like it. I do like it, and I want to listen to it again now that I wow. have further context. I do like it a lot. I'm a little surprised by it. it t- I was uh, surprised by how wild it, it sounded. Some of it reminded me a little of that band, the B-52s. You ever hear tell of them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, they collaborated with R.E.M. Yeah, they have one song with R.E.M., and REM once collaborated with KRS One on the same album. That's how eclectic REM used to be. I know, radio song. Yeah. What a good song. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. is a good song. I just got out of time on vinyl, uh, which I never had. Now before. our children grow up pris- prisoners all their life. Radio listeners. That's right. Remember that? Yeah, I do. That's KRS One. Yep. Yeah. It's a song about the so radio, good. but it's against the radio. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Listen. Exactly. I, I want to thank you both for uh, strolling down memory lane with me and with each other. It's nice that I could re- reunite you two it's after coming. a decade of separation. I want to give you a chance to say yeah. anything else uh, that you want to say about uh, one hundred dollars, Forest of Tears, any other upcoming projects. Maybe actually, let's let's put a hold on that. Let's stick to this subject matter. Is there anything we haven't covered about Forest of Tears or one hundred dollars that you'd like to say? In conclusion, that I didn't prompt you to say, uh, I feel like I want to go to Simone first on this. Uh, and if you have nothing, that's fine. We we got to a lot of stuff. But I just want to give you the opportunity, Simone. Anything we haven't covered that you want to let people know about? Um, I don't know. I guess I just like I don't know why like people like that band in a particular way, other than it just being a band in their youth or something. Like that, like I think it's a it, it was a cool band. I think we did good stuff with songs, uh, but it's like it's interesting. I I don't really know. So like to me, like the notion that I think that there's something to say about it is like pretty. It's like just really funny. <laughs> but I mean, like you know that it's like ultimately, what do I have to say? Like I I don't know. I have nothing. I don't know what I want to say about it because uh, like I don't. I'm just trying to be like I don't know. I don't recognize this as a question. Okay, it's not really a, it's a it's an opportunity more than a question. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. One, okay, oh, no, you, what, you, what were you going to say? You you go. I'll ask the questions. I was like, what if it was possible, Simone, to listen to Forest of Tears for the first time this year? What do you think your impression would be of it? I would think it's like very earnest. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. Isn't that kind of your whole deal, Simone? Earnestness <laughs> on record and songs, and yet 
absolute absurdism and silliness in every other aspect of record promotion and discussion? I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's, that's my... It, there's a thing that you do that I admire, which is you do take the craft very seriously, but everything around it is obviously silly, and you see it for that. Like the... Not that we haven't had good, serious discussions, and we did get to some stuff here, but I, I appreciate that about you, that I don't know if anything we just talked about for the last hour is true. <laughs> yeah, it's just like kind of like the, the songs are there, and I, and that's what you do. You like make the songs for them to be there. I like really feel grateful for that in my life, you know? Yeah. That you, you just have like the, those like little nuggets of like a... Distilled like distilled like experience and like effort. I I I would want to know like Ian like if you listen to the album for the first time right now, what do you think you would you like? Because honestly, I would listen to it. I'd be like, why can't that person sing? Like that's my honest truth. And I don't say that because I'm like, tell me it was good. Like I know it was. I know what I think of it. And like no one could change my mind uh, about that. But I'm kind of interested, like, Ian, what would you think when you listen to it? Yeah. I wonder if I could hear it for the first time. I don't think the singing, I think I would still like the singing, your singing. I don't know what it would be like for me, because I don't know. I'm just, I have it here, I'm looking at it. You know what? I probably wouldn't, I don't listen to this kind of music much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something I love and I'm still so proud of, for sure. And I think it's great because I know it, though. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't, like, I don't listen to that much song music anymore. Mm -hmm. Like songs of, like this, like we are so about songs. And I just want to say about how you make a song, like verse and chorus and all this. But I don't, I don't know if I would. You're a different person. I would, yeah. I mean, if someone told me, like, this is really great, listen to it, and it's somebody I trust or whatever, I would listen to it. And I bet, um, I bet I'd be moved by it because, you know, if I could listen to it at the right volume or at the right time of day or whatever, or had sure. a quiet moment. Like, I don't have any time to listen to music anymore. I have two kids who are lovely and loud. And when I put on music, it's mostly just to try and take the energy out of the room. <laughs> so it's just like... Plinking wow. pianos. Interesting. Or whatever. Yeah. But um, I still think it's a cool record. I'm still proud of it. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> because we already did it. That's not exactly saying you have no regrets. Well, it's close. No. It's there. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. For real, I'm so yeah. proud of no, it. You should still. be. Absolutely. You should be. I, like, I do listen to song music still. And I still listen to all the old song music I used to listen to. And there's still songwriters who I listen to now, you know, who get their songs in my head or that I come back to. Yeah. But yeah. Let me let me just flip this question real quick. Say the year is 2023, Ian, and uh, someone uh, foists upon you uh, the opportunity to hear uh, LS Double D Cup for the first time. What would you think? I'd be like, that's so noisy. But I'd be like, that's pretty fun. Pretty fun stuff. Wild, wild songs like songs about vacationing and skiing. Songs about 
Reality, songs about driving whilst high and being terrified. I'm kind of still into that kind of it stuff. It sounds very illegal, everything that you're describing, most of it, which is fine. Yeah. It's dangerous. Some of it should be, for sure. Some of it should be. Yeah. Uh, Simone, uh, uh, should I ask the same question? This is getting silly. Like, What would you think if you first heard LS Double D Cup at this point in your life? I don't know. Like, I love hearing young punk bands right now. Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what you're mm-hmm. thinking about. Because they're just like, it's it's just still wild and and cool. And I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's great. And it, it also hasn't like changed all that much in another way. So I think that's cool. The quality of the recording so scrappy. But yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like something that's interesting about the moment that we were that we were working in is that there wasn't like like as $100 like going back to to the question of like if there's anything I would like to say is that like I was I kept playing music and the presence of feminized people like grew right like there Mm -hmm. really weren't very many contemporaries like sometimes we would go on a tour with the band and if it was Simone and TB and me we'd be the only feminized people in the in the in the venues you know and like sometimes we'd play a festival even like like really independent progressive-ish festivals or we thought they were like progressive because they were independent um and not very corporate like that you would still be like one of three acts on like a 20 band festival that had a feminized person and so when i think about the culture back then it was like a bad move to not wear a dress and be a feminized person, you know? And we didn't have the word for non-binary then. And that, like, distinctly is a time where, like, you know, I was around a lot older people who maybe Mm -hmm. would Mm -hmm. say that they were feminists, but there was, like, no talk about consent culture. There was no talk Mm -hmm. about, like, it was like feminism was, like, we were, like, post-feminism or something, you know? Like, it was, like, not... It was like apparently not an issue, but there was like just such a disgusting culture at the time. And so I think like a lot of the music and a lot of the themes of the music is like about that stuff and is about Mm -hmm. is it's a feminist album and it's like a queer album in this moment in time when I don't think that was particularly cool. Um, And there's like an aspect to which because like all the all the other people were like men in the band so we were like cool mm. but it's kind of like funny because I don't think that like on my own people would have wanted to hear that me sing those songs right. and there's something about having had that backing right that was like probably allowed me to travel in certain ways but you know like you go and you you'd rip a show and it would be like just people acting totally vile to this music about domestic rape um, or like go on like Gian Gomeshi's show like on CBC Radio Q with Gian Gomeshi mm. and like he can't ask you like he won't ask you what the songs are about no because like he doesn't want to actually have to deal with mm. that and I think yeah. that that was like a really different culture so in a lot of ways, like I remember having to be incredibly explicit about what the songs were about if I wanted to feel as if I wasn't being ignored. Yeah. Otherwise, like I could just be like, yeah, I'm just playing a country band, whatever. And, uh, but yeah, it was pretty weird. And like we never said, we, 
Yeah. It was interesting. And then at the same time, I know like there's an entire fan base of people who that's what actually resonated right. with them. They're, they're trans people. Mm-hmm. They're women. Mm-hmm. They're queers. They're like, oh, that's our music. Those songs are about our experiences. And so I think that's like important to name. And I think it's like funny that I name it again. That is me naming it again. But like that, that is what it is. And I like meet younger feminized musicians now. I meet women and like non-binary musicians and they can't imagine that there was pressure to wear a dress they can't like imagine that it it would have been weird to not brush your hair or that you would have been like given the like up and down in a particular way yeah that's not to say that they're not dealing with like a whole range of other pressures around thinness around like being real like all these ridiculous pressures about how how to look but i think like just that at the time it was like so like undiverse and we we were like almost always playing like festivals and venues where there's like not any racialized like musicians playing too so that racial segregation was also really really like a thing at the time yeah i just think back on that time as like not one that I wish to be in again in that sense because like it was pretty alienating and pretty difficult and um, there weren't like easy ways of talking about it. It was like, it was always like really radical to talk about what was on one's mind. Mm -hmm. And I, and I felt like that was really alienating. So maybe that's like part of why I don't really remember any of it. (laughs) maybe yeah it's so hard just i feel like that's i think you said it but that's that's why i think it means so much to so many people because it was this like bro band like beers and bros kind of we'd play those kind of shows and that kind of stuff and it was just like Mm -hmm. this country rock kind of stuff but it was like the music the lyrics are like insane like rage and like beautiful like awesome like analyzing and just awesome representation all this stuff that's it meant so much to so many people because it's like whoa what are they singing about like it was awesome it meant it was it was like sneaking in with a you know country bro band but then having all this to say it it was pretty special it is a testament to like i appreciate what you're saying about that time and place and i i can concur i was there uh and I, i appreciate what you're saying and i hope i didn't have a hand in making any of those environments uh, troubling and as a show booker or whatever, I, I was trying to be mindful of some things, but yeah, sorry, not to make this about me. I, all I want to say is I think it's a testament to you <laughs> that songs like Careless Love and, and Hell is a Place and Tirade of a Shitty Mom in particular, but I mean, it's true of all of these songs. They're, they're timeless, sadly. They're sadly mm-hmm. still relevant and, and, and people are more... I don't know if anything's improved, but at least people are are, are seem to be more open to discussing such things. Uh, and yeah, I, it's I, really it it's interesting to like actually ponder that question. Like, are things any different? And like, what can we know? And also, like, what happens when people feel compelled or like hit the limit of what it is to just be able to say something, but nothing changes, right? Yeah, like, yeah. so like in a way, at that moment. We had like it wasn't as if like we were we were the first people to be writing that stuff, right? There's all these like different moments of feminism and 
like radical politics in countries just that we watch like the pendulum swing back and forth so we were coming out of a time where it was just like simply not cool to be mm-hmm. political and so you like people would self-censor they'd be like we don't we're not going to talk about like stuff but there were like certain things that no one talked about like all that openly in mainstream and often i would find like if you tried to broach it people wouldn't like interviewers wouldn't know what you're talking about like if talk about like settlerism or something like yeah. that like people were like mm-hmm. what um and it was like not a given in a lot of like dominant canadian culture that this is like a colony that we're in yeah whereas now you say that and people are like oh yeah and so we were also like you know later on writing with that consciousness because we were really fortunate to know different people who were like in indigenous sovereignty movements and and like those are just people and movements that we knew and so we learned a lot i think culturally i'm saying we sorry Mm -hmm. ian but i feel like no you were there together and like we learned a lot in that way so it was just the reality of what we what we knew our place was in the world but that was also just like you if you said that people were like we don't we don't know how to do that you just watch that get redacted in in a in an article or like an interview and i wouldn't say that that is like like that felt like censorship at the time well for sure and i don't know if it is but it like that's what it felt Mm -hmm. like so it's interesting now because like anyone can say any anything almost and (laughs) but i don't know yeah i don't know if that like gets at the systemic change but what an amazing moment in another way to be writing at a time where it felt radical simply to be saying something and now the task is so much harder because it isn't just about voicing something it's about thinking how and can this change Mm. you know i think there's probably more of a connection to i invoked timelessness earlier but i think part of that is married to being ahead of your time and i don't mean to voice that upon you in your band but you were talking about things that not a lot of people were at the time, and some of them you were still learning about. Some of them, I imagine, were as plain as day to you and no one else was willing to see them. And now here we are. So I think it is a testament to you, both, and the, the things you wanted to express in this band. And again, going back to about an hour ago when we were talking about intentionality, maybe that wasn't your intention, but it was true to you. These were things you wanted to talk about. So whatever, whatever anyone yeah. else made of them or processed it was true to you and so once again well i pay tribute to you and say thank you for doing that on one hand and also but i i i just want to argue with you because i think that a lot of people were saying them but they just didn't have access and so there's like a possibility that i had access to an audience because of how i looked and you know because of whiteness because of like being flanked by all these bros and so I had entry it, to say things that other people were saying, but just like didn't didn't have the audience to say it to in the same way, or didn't have the same audience. No, that's fair. That's to. fair. So that's a fair. That's yeah. a fair argument and a counterpoint. What I'm saying is, you did use your privilege and your whether you. I don't know. I, I want to be careful with this because you're going to yell at me. I can feel it coming. A little <laughs> bit of yelling at Vish. <laughs> but I'm just going to say, like, I think you were self-aware of the fact that you would have. A platform, and you were in a milieu that wasn't really dealing with some of these issues or thoughts, and I think that's what you chose to do with it. You, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be part of this scene or reach this audience because of who I am, what I look like, 
I'm going to try to say something meaningful here, maybe on behalf of those who can't uh, or aren't being heard. And I know you have issues with that too, um, what that means, white savior complexes and whatnot. But I just want to say, as I was reading this, the lyrics today and listening to this record today, what we're talking about did occur to me. Like, Jesus, this is heavy stuff, but it's stuff we've, we've it's become a little bit normalized to express this and hear this now on some small level, not enough. And I think the fact that it's 15 years old is something of a testament to you both and what you wanted to do with this band. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to shut you up. I just I just want to say that I, I know that I'm trying to pay you a compliment, but I also know it can be uncomfortable because you're whatever. My point here is this. We gotta wrap we gotta wrap up. What do you have more to say? You gotta say something? I said I always put my foot in my mouth at the end. I said something good and then I say something wrong. That's what I think happens with Vish. And at two at one point seven point five speed, it blows by. You don't even hear me uh, mangle the English language as much. Uh I'm. I'm gonna. I want to wrap this up. But do you want to say something to what I just said, Simone? No, no. I just like that. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope everyone listens to this at like point zero five, because embedded in the embedded in the audio is like an entirely other interview. Yeah. But you can only hear it at zero point five. So yeah, the truth. Yeah. We're actually talking to our dog audience right now. Any <laughs> dogs out there? It's, it's you're gonna hear this on a different frequency. My point is. I want to give you both a chance now uh, for plugs. Uh, we've been focused uh, forever now on $100 in this history. Anything coming up? Anything you're doing now you want people to know about? Ian, if if so, can you direct people to websites or things where they can access what you're up to these days? For me, I put out a record, a guitar record a couple years ago at the during the pandemic, during the start of the pandemic, called In Light. And I've got more music to record, but uh, just it's going to be slow. I've definitely, my musical output has slowed a lot since having a family. I can't believe people who have kids and still, I mean, I have a full-time job and kids. And so the time for making, writing and recording music is so slim, but I love that people can do it. And I can't, I do it really slow. So I have more music to come out. But um, yeah, I'll put I'll be put it out under my name. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Simone is very in, in light. Busy. In light is a really beautiful record. I'm just going to say that people should listen to it. Obviously. I think I owe Ian an email it's about guitar that. Record. Music. Did you email me about that record, Ian, when it came out? I emailed you and maybe one other person for my PR kind of for I'm that sorry. record because I really hate that kind of stuff. I know everyone does. Yeah. But I just really just um, didn't do anything for it except for emailed you on like the day. I was like, hey, Vish, I'm releasing this record today. Would you want to listen to it and interview me? And uh, you were like, well, I'd love to. But I think you did email. You were like, oh, I'd love to. But I don't I don't remember what you said, but we definitely. I'm do sorry. It. Yeah, this is making that no I, I will. We will no someday you'll be on the show, Ian. That's my promise to you. Oh, that'd be fun. We can figure out a way to get you without on. Simone? If we can get you on this podcast without somehow. Yeah, with or without Simone, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but someday you will be on this show. Mark my words. <laughs> Heed what I say, Ian. It's going to happen. All right. No, I'm sorry about that. And I will link to uh, no. your record so people can, for what it's worth, so they can hopefully check sure. it out. Uh, the Unlight record. Uh, Simone, uh, where to begin with you? What's going on? What's what's coming up? These sorts of things. I don't know. I just... 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is there anything? Are you working on something you can tell us about or no? Yeah, I'm always working on songs. There's always just a song rattling around, except for two years there was no songs. And so then all I did was like I, I worked on this soundtrack for mm-hmm. a movie called A More Radiant Sphere by Sarah Wiley. And it's just like a really short little recording that came out of that. There are five songs with words, but all the words are by a poet called Joe Wallace, mm-hmm. who is a really unknown like communist poet who was like derided for being terrible at poetry. And so the songs <laughs> are like the, uh, the filmmaker is making this film about this guy who, who's been erased from the archive, the historical record. And so I, um, yeah, took his, some five, so- five poems of his and made them into song. And then I play them with like, uh, Nick Dorado, uh, and John Showman both who've like played on other records of mine. John Showman's the fiddle player on Audible Songs from Rockwood and and Nick Dorado's uh the piano and sax player on Fiverr in the Atlantic School of Spontaneous Composition and You Want a Country. But like yeah, and then the second side of that album cuz it's a tape is all just instrumental music from the soundtrack which is really nice to listen to. It Nathan Doucette who's a mm-hmm. drummer is mm-hmm. Yeah, on that. And then we are putting out, me and Nate are putting out this really disgusting electronic music <laughs> under the name Splitter. Ah. And, Splitter. Um, Splitter. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that'll that come out. So I've heard it. It's awesome. <laughs> Nate's like really good at beats. So oh, okay. that's like maybe the first kind of electronic music that I've recorded and will be putting out. Ever not that I've uh, made. I record a lot of stuff, but don't put it out. So um, that's that. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to play a live festival because I haven't been playing during the pandemic. I don't want to get long COVID, um, but I'll be playing Sappy Fest this year, which is really cool. Oh, uh, nice! And I'll be playing with. Nathan Doucette and Bianca Palmer, both on drums, and Jeremy Costello on like the bass and keys. Hmm. Jeremy Costello of Special Costello, in case anyone has ever missed me plug a band. It's always Special Costello. <laughs> um, he's so good. So that they're like, yeah, that I think that'll be, it's just fun. I'm working on music with them right now. And so I think we'll probably have an album out in the next few years. Cause oh, nice. The songs are there. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, this is great. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear you're both uh, doing stuff. Uh, Ian, it's been a long time since I've um, heard of you doing things, as uh, at least relatively speaking, compared to Simone. So thank you for uh, sharing that info with us. Sure. Um, uh, if people want to learn more about uh, Forest of Tears and uh, this reissue, I don't know if there's copies left. Uh, Simone, do you know where to direct people? Yeah, go to the Blue Fog Recordings car- Big Cartel thing. Yeah. And you can order it there. Or you can go to the Blue Fog Recordings Bandcamp. Yeah. And honestly, I think that, Vish, you should link it because it might actually be Blue Fog Records and not recordings. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I, don't know. Sh- sure, I'll, I'll link to it. No problem. I think there's still copies of the reissue out, though. Available, rather? I think so. I haven't been checking. I don't okay. run it. I don't run it. Hope so. Big thank you to Brian Taylor for making that stuff happen. And I know Rick White remastered it, and they made a whole new like uh, weird like 
a jacket yeah. for the inside, and they didn't tell me about it until I got it, and I was like, whoa, wow. Can I get, can I get this photo <laughs> that I'm showing you two right now for the promotional uh, aspects of this podcast? Yeah, yeah, I can send that to you. It's nice. I like it. You all look great. I might say. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, you look yeah. high. Like, Ian looks so high in it because Ian is so high in it. <laughs> you look so high. Is there, is, there, is there any chance you were high? There's a chance. Yeah. You look kind of high. Yeah, I'm just showing everyone. I'm zooming in. Yeah. Okay, cool. If we can go out on a song uh, by either LS Double D Cup or $100. Uh, I'm, first of all, put that option out. I wonder if uh, one of you uh, can pick one for us to go out on, and then the other one can argue with both me and that person about the choice. And then we'll have another half an hour conversation about what song we end up playing. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go to you on this first. If you could pick one song by either project, it can only be one, uh, please pick one and tell us why it came to mind. Okay. I think we should probably do $100. I was kind of Yeah. Being, what do you think? Okay. Maybe, yeah. What if Simone and I say it the, the uh, exact same time? All right. Would that I'm impress gonna you? Count, I'm going to count. I'm going to count backwards from three. And after one, you both say your song selections at the same time. And we'll see what happens. Ready? Are you both ready? Yeah. Okay. You know the song titles? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. 14 hours. Careless love careless is love. the only one I remember. <laughs> Yeah, 14, 14 hour day. Do 14 hour day. Yeah, 14 hour day. Do it that one. When I to it again, I got tears oh, because those, you know, that one and Marbadar, they're just so good. They're so, they. I heard them again in a new way when I listened to them. And um, I don't know. It just, I can really th- imagine the characters. I don't 14 know hour day is a, yeah. it's a wonderful uh, song and narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm taken right to, uh, right into this world. So. I think there was some chicanery. I don't know if this was a clear choice between the two of you. I feel like one of you picked a different song, but I'm going to let that pass. I, I think maybe there was also some level of consensus. So I think we should just play it. Let's play 14 Hour Day. Are we agreed? Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it again for the first time. Yeah. Okay. 14 Hour Day by the great $100. Uh, this uh, from their album Forest of Tears, which has been repressed on vinyl as we've established. Hopefully you know that by now. You've been listening this whole time. Uh, Ian. Simone, um, for what it's worth, I love you both, and I thank you for this time. Uh, it means a lot to me, and I'm sure uh, other people who love you and your band. So thank you for this, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks. Thanks so much. Love you too, love Vish. You, Vish. Love you, Simone. Love you, everybody who's listening. Love Surprise you, love. <laughs> All love. Only All love. All love.
isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It was lovely to have Ian and Simone on the show for a good long chat about $100. I mean, there's no debating whether or not it was long. I think we can all agree on that. But was it good? Uh, To each their own. I thought it was fun. 
I hope they had a good time, and I hope you enjoyed listening to us have a chat on this, the 787th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcast, pretty much. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter for now at vishcreative. Uh, or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Vishkana. And I'm on that Blue Sky thing now. It's just Vishkana that, uh, whatever, the Blue there's a whole stuff at the end. It's the, I'm just myself, but at the Blue Sky thing. So if you want, you can follow me there, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the hell we're doing. We're adults. Follow me on this. Follow me on that. What's wrong with us? What happened to us? This is for another time. I'm going to stop talking about this. Please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast and all the rants I go on at the end of each episode. $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. Uh, you get episodes earlier than everybody else who doesn't uh, give me anything. Sons of... No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. No, <laughs> you know, you get a little premium. You get the shows earlier and other stuff too. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt... I still have a, a, a some sizes left in the in the uh, maroon and the yellow. So uh, if you if you go to the Patreon, you'll know what that means. The the designs are up there, and yeah, just message me on Patreon at uh, Patreon.com/slash/CreativeControl, and we'll see if we can't get you set up with a shirt uh, for your generosity. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, the Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario for their in-kind support for this show. I want to thank my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use music of his on the show every week. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode uh, with Ian and Simone from $100. I I love those two people, and I love their band. It's so nice to uh, hear their debut album, Forest of Tears, again by a blue fog. So thanks to them for doing that. And again, thanks to you for subscribing to this podcast and uh, following it and telling your friends to do the same and to spread the word about uh, the show. It means a lot. So uh, I just got sad about Rick Froberg again, and I'm going to wrap this up. I will talk to you very soon. Uh, I hope you're well. Hug the ones you're with, if, if you will. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.